I'm Afshin Ratansi, and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. Tomorrow marks 10 years to the day since WikiLeaks whistleblower Chelsea Manning was found guilty and later jailed for revealing to the world U.S. war crimes in the then biggest U.S. military information leak in history. We have a different kind of revealer of truths on today's show, the former Pentagon's Chuck Spinney, famous for what was coined the Spinney Report, which criticized U.S. defense spending and the pursuit of complex weapons was a U.S. military strategist of 20 years. He argues his groundbreaking 80s report, along with subsequent reports he's written over the years, are more relevant today than ever. This, while the United States, the country with the highest military budget in the world, arguably spins out of control when it comes to defense, pouring weapons into Ukraine as part of the NATO proxy war with Russia. He joins me for today's episode from Arlington in Virginia. Chuck, thanks so much for uh, coming on. You know, just uh, last week's going underground, we had Larry, uh, Larry Wilkerson, the uh, former chief of staff to the Secretary of State, and he said people are building extensions to their homes in Virginia and Maryland. Uh, you're going to have to remind us uh, just to, very briefly about uh, your revelations, and I understand they were taken on uh, board at the time. You weren't, uh, you know, put in jail for revealing uh, alleged corruption or incompetence when it came to Pentagon uh, procurement. But this in the light of the fact that 2022's budget is $877 billion from the U.S. public money. And uh, the Pentagon couldn't account for over half. It's $3.1 trillion in assets last year, uh, $4.4 billion in untracked inventory in the U.S. Navy, $5.2 billion in the, Royal, in the um, U.S. Air Force variants compared to the the ledger. Uh, remind us what you were talking about when it came to waste and at worst corruption as regards the U.S. military industrial complex. Well, I, I was part of a group that was trying to fix things in the Pentagon. And uh, I think the main focus of my work was I was working on our applications of technology and the excessive complexity, which led to rising costs. Costs always go up faster than the budget. So as a result, Weapons uh, get, bossed, get, get bought at ever decreasing quantities and modernization rates de decrease. Uh, the average age of weapons in the inventories increases, which, which uh, creates a demand for even higher budgets because things are becoming older and older all the time. And uh, they end up, uh, in order to, to fund the, the rising costs of modernization, they, uh, uh, decision makers in the Pentagon uh, inevitably uh, uh, start robbing the readiness accounts, which basically consists of uh, training budgets, uh, budgets for spare parts, budget for war reserve munitions stockpiles, uh, things like that. And, and, you know, and even maintenance of real property, like uh, just, you know, repairing buildings and things like that. It all gets short shrifted. So they're in a constant crisis, even though the budgets are going through the roof. And what's happening today with the budget you just cited is, is identical to what's been happening for the last, well, at least since the 1960s and probably earlier. The, the problem with figuring out what was going on earlier is uh, that the data that the Pentagon collected is impossible to decipher other than some very primitive measures like raw quantities of airplanes or, or tanks, things like that. But once computers came in in the early 60s, uh, uh, the records got a little better and you could, you could start tracking this stuff. Of course, the bookkeeping system, uh, as you indicated, is totally corrupt. Uh, 
and and in fact uh uh one of the results of of my work indirectly not directly uh was that there became increasing calls for these annual audits uh under the chief financial officers act of of 1990 and and basically these audits are not like business audits the concern the concern audits is they they're, they're basically uh check what i call checks and balances audit they're basically seeing if the pentagon is conforming or any other government agency for that matter the act covered everything uh is conforming to the dictates of the constitution which says you have to submit a report of your financial status uh from time to time and uh uh you have to account for the money your expenditures uh of funds uh by relating them to appropriations by congress so it's not like a financial audit that a company does it it's basically a political audit uh that checks the uh uh the conformity of the executive department in my case the pentagon uh with the constitutional requirements and what when you don't pass an audit it basically says you're not you're not conforming to the dictates of the constitution uh which is which is uh uh verboten it's it's against the law because the constitution's the law of the land well that's the price of freedom you know you know what up the road at congress and the way the votes have gone as regards uh, appropriations committee uh funding that that's the the price uh, it uh, it takes but on the other hand chuck grassley uh president of the us senate longest uh, serving uh, senator who i believe you know is in the news this week actually over uh President Biden's son uh, Hunter after releasing the FBI papers uh, connecting him to uh, Ukraine. Do you think uh, he's happy with uh, all this money going to Ukraine? I mean other senators uh, seem much more uh, happy with it. I don't know what what Senator Grassley's position is on Ukraine. Uh I know he's not happy with the Pentagon the way the Pentagon spent the money. I I've I've known uh Senator Grassley on and off since 1983. and uh uh he's he's serious about trying to get the pentagon to clean up its books he's he's one of the few congressmen that, or senators that has actually tried uh uh to get to get this financial the chief financial officers act complied with uh, and he deserves a lot of credit for that he's um, read your uh, report yeah. right so he must be talking about it in the corridors of power all the time saying look Have you not heard about Chuck Swinney's report back then in the 80s we should be following that as a template for the future The reason the reason I testified in 1983 that led to the big story uh cover of Time uh, magazine correct uh he uh, uh Grassley was the one who basically sprung me and they, the Pentagon didn't want me to go over there uh, eventually they they were threatened that the Congress was threatening subpoenas and and so i had explicit uh uh authorization to testify from the secretary of defense casper weinberger um and so i was dragged over there as as we said in the pentagon kicking and screaming of course <laughs> grassley grassley tried to meet with me in my office one time he drove but prior to the hearing he got into his car and drove over to the pentagon and and uh, tried to meet me in my office i didn't know he was doing this at the time but i was told to just sit tight in my office and i was going to have a surprise 
and and they uh, they basically told him I wasn't available. Okay, but if anyone's watching this program now who works in the Pentagon, not a scientist like yourself, maybe maybe an accountant, who knows uh, who works in that uh, five-sided building in uh, in the east coast of America. Uh, and feels, look, I've just spotted something. This is like overcharging. I know there have been cases of overcharging for parts that are presumably down in Ukraine right now. The U.S. Uh, taxpayer got done for maybe 4,000%. Who knows? What are they supposed to do? Because they treated you pretty well. I know we're just ahead of the anniversary of, uh, of uh, Chelsea Manning's, uh, you know, torture uh, of, of being found guilty. But uh, they listened to you, didn't they? they? They gave you a good hearing. You were still working at the Pentagon for years later. So what does someone do now? If they, because no one is saying anything like what you said right now. They're saying this is a good deal. And most, and the vast majority of the people don't really understand. Even uh, the people inside the Pentagon don't understand how this system is really working. It's basically uh, the product of a cultural evolution uh, since since at least World War II. And and uh, it, it, they can't it, all be incompetent, Chuck. Surely. Pardon? Some of them must. They're not. They're very hard, hard working, but they're people that are uh, embedded in this system are making. The system is actually controlling their behavior, and they've adapted to it. And and most of the people can't see the forest for the trees. And my my experience my experience working with people in the Pentagon, the vast majority of them, the lieutenant colonels, the majors, and and you know most of the colonels are very decent people and they're very hard working. These people are working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week sometimes, but they, they are working on a little, a little component of a huge system. And, and basically these guys, their job is to protect that component and get funding. Okay. But it. so why were you different then back then? Because there's only one of you. Why were you different? I was brought in to do the kind of work I did. I was brought in explicitly uh, for that. I, uh, if, if you uh, go back to uh, uh, my early days in the Pentagon, I, f I first arrived at the Pentagon as a 28-year-old as a captain in the Air Force. And when I came to the Pentagon, I was working for this uh, uh, brilliant colonel, real, a real maverick. This colonel was, was a brilliant, was a brilliant uh, uh, bureaucratic infighter as well. He was a conceptual designer, and he was a famous fighter pilot. And uh, uh, he, he basically put another captain to work on this, trying to figure out how the Air Force budget was screwed up. And then I came in and I was assigned to work with that captain. So the two captains basically uh, started working on this thing. And, and we made a lot of progress, although we didn't really change anything. Uh, our understanding certainly increased, uh, but I, I uh, I, I got pretty fed up and, and I retired and I resigned in 1975. Yeah, so you were there for uh, a while at least. I mean, I'm just saying this week. Well, anyway, what, I, what I'm getting at is, is I, I, I was working in the civil sector uh, after I left the Pentagon and I got a phone call one day from, from a very senior guy in the Pentagon. He said, uh, he invited me down there and he basically offered me a job and it was oriented toward continuing the work I had been doing in the Air Force. That's how I got involved in it. So I was doing what I was brought to the Pentagon to do. They just didn't like it. And, and uh, initially during the Carter administration, they were supporting the work. 
uh, you know, Carter was getting blamed for all the readiness problems in the military, but, but he was just inheriting a system that had gone amok. We saw this in the early 70s during the Nixon administration. And, and that's why we were doing, that's why we were assigned to do what we were doing back then. But so, and, so uh, as, of, as of now, Lloyd Austin's Pentagon is independent of presidential power. Well, it's always been sort of independent of presidential power. I think Roosevelt uh, was the last president to really control the Pentagon. Maybe Eisenhower to a sort of an extent. But uh, uh, basically, uh, our work, which made enormous progress in the 70s and the early 80s, which did a lot more than, it covered a lot more than budgetary work. Uh, uh, basically, when Reagan was throwing money at the Pentagon, you know, the incentive to reform ourselves sort of went away. And, you know, it basically bought off. And, and, and people, people started leaving. People that were doing the work started leaving or retiring. And uh, by the 90s, the whole reform movement inside the Pentagon was dead. The, the, thing, the thing was, I was, I, was a, I, I was a player in a group of people who, many of whom were uniformed. There were even a few generals peripherally involved. Um, it was mostly uh, uh, field grade officers, majors, lieutenant colonels, and colonels, few, a few generals, and civilians, and, uh, uh, and congressmen like Grassley, um, and, and there were others. Uh, in fact, you know, even Dick Cheney was on the Military Reform Caucus. <laughs> um, so a lot of people knew there was a problem, and uh, it just, uh, by throwing money at the Pentagon, all the incentive to change you know, just sort of evaporated. Chuck Smitty, I'll just stop you there. More from the legendary retired U.S. military strategist who authored the so-called Spinney Report after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with the legendary retired U.S. military strategist Chuck Spinney. Uh, Chuck, we were talking about the loss of impetus in any idea of reform at the Pentagon. Just this week, the uh, Naval uh, Air Systems Command has released uh, something called Sole Source Delivery Order, I don't know what that is, to Lockheed Martin for integrating long-range anti-ship missiles on the F-35, presumably for war against China, I'm not sure. Uh, F-35 program much in force, something that has been criticized over the years. Uh, does that mean uh, the U.S. taxpayer, uh, let alone U.S. Uh, politicians, are all for the F-35? Oh, I, I, uh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, we've bought about 500 F-35s so far. Uh, I think maybe 300 have been delivered. Uh, they're totally, they're, they're talking about buying over 2,000. Uh, and and uh, it's beginning to show... It, it hasn't passed its operational tests yet, even though we bought we bought all these uh, uh, planes, and it doesn't have the full suite of electronics in it. So we're going to have to rebuild the ones that have been built already when we get the full suite. And of course, the full suite they've been having trouble developing it, and who knows if it'll work? It's it's essentially a reincarnation on a much grander scale than the F-111 debacle in the 1970s. And it comes from a decision process that is basically oriented toward getting programs 
prematurely into production so they can't be stopped. Essentially, essentially it's called uh, uh, concurrent engineering and manufacturing development. And basically what that, that's the approval point, if they call it milestone two in the Pentagon, uh, it's the approval point where the contractor, in this case Lockheed, uh, basically starts doing big time work on the, uh, on the uh, uh, design of the plane. At the same time, they're building their manufacturing capability and they're setting up their subcontractor network in all the congressional districts or as many as possible. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are over 40 states involved in the F-35. I haven't seen the the latest laydown of con by congressional district, but but uh, uh, basically the idea is you get the money going to all the congressmen, all the districts, and all these companies, and then they create lobbies that that you basically can't turn the thing off. It's a very sophisticated game, and it's developed. It evolved. It, it didn't start off. It wasn't premeditated. It sort of evolved through trial and error, uh, starting in the 1950s. And, and, and that's one reason why we can't control the Pentagon's budget. Now, the F-35 is fun to talk about, but that's the tip of the iceberg, and it's a small tip. I, I personally believe that the Pentagon's getting cold, cold feet on the F-35, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you saw people trying to cancel it before too long. Uh, short because, of the I mean, there have been some reports they're running out of ammunition, right? I mean, that's why the uh, cluster me, bombs are being sent to Ukraine. Yeah. The, the important thing to understand is the Pentagon budget, you're talking about what 477 billion this year. <laughs> what they have done is they have shoveled all this money into the modernization accounts and they built what's called a bow wave of future weapons. And they've all and they've all been rushed past milestone two. Now they're not spending a huge amount of money on some of these systems. Some of the systems are are pretty expensive, but so far, but what they've done is they've planted the seed money and they're spreading the money around the country for these individual systems. We've got a new ICBM in development. We have a new bomber in development. We have a fighter replacement for the F-22 uh, you know, a fighter in development. Uh, we have a, a submarine launch, uh, a, 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 a submarine, a ballistic missile launching submarine uh, that's, that's in development, destroyers, New, new, uh, new field weapons, and you have a huge amount of money going into space without any oversight to speak of. So basically what we've done is we've created a huge bill for the future, and no one knows how much this is. It's, it's going to be over a trillion dollars for sure, and we're going to be paying for this for the next 80 years. I'm how, does that, how do they keep all this from the American public? Because, you know, we know 40 million rely on food stamps over there. And uh, they were, you know, the media was uh, talking about the Vilnius NATO summit as a great success of unity. Uh, how, how is it that uh, the uh, awful, terrible tale that you describe of what amounts to oligarchic corruption, and I think you said once that Eisenhower meant to say military-industrial-congressional complex, how do they keep it from the American people then? Well, you know, it, it, uh, in the 70s, we had newspapers who, who had reporters who were actually trying to understand what was going on, and a lot of it came out. Uh, it, it started momentum for change, and, and uh, basically uh, that momentum petered out. I, I personally believe it was because of all the money Reagan threw at the Pentagon. Uh, it just bought everybody off. 
today, the newspapers are are part of the problem. Uh, they're they're just talking about these super weapons. And in fact, if you now the Ukraine situation is a classic case of where this takes us. Basically, when if you go back and read some of the press reports right after the war started you'll see that there were these gleeful reports about how the United States was going to be the arsenal of democracy, uh, producing game-changing weapons. You remember that term, game-changing weapons? And and now look at the situation. We've run out of of 155-millimeter howitzer shells. So we're taking, we're we're giving the Ukrainians cluster bombs, which which, uh, are old, Cluster bombs have high dud rates, and the older they are, the higher the dud rate. Sorry, the Biden uh, administration see. says the dud rate is uh, fantastic. Antony Blinken appeared to the American public saying these are completely different. Yeah, yeah, right. That's 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 nonsense. Uh, you know, you basically you got it's amateur hour in Washington uh, on this stuff, and uh, 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 the. The, the point is, the point is, here we have this $477 billion budget or whatever it is. I don't, 877 I don't know the total. for 2022. $70 billion. Uh, and we don't have spare parts. We don't have munitions. Does that sound familiar? It's just like what they were bitching about with Carter, who inherited the problem from Nixon. Carter got lost, to, lost his presidency because of that argument. You remember the hollow military? You may not, but the the hollow military was Reagan's was Reagan's uh, uh, stalking horse, and and uh, so 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 basically we've got the same situation at ever higher budgets. Uh, one of my closest friends uh, used to ha- had, had coined a term for it. It's called unilateral disarmament at ever higher cost. So, so it's actually a peace movement, the Pentagon, in effect. No, so it's so. Well, is the USA prepared? I mean, for a war with China in the current situation, given what you've seen of their attempt to fight Russia through Ukraine. I, you know, I hesitate to talk about. I hesitate to talk about China. I, I don't like what's going on with the way they're inflating the China threat. They, uh, you know, we're, if we're having this problem in the Ukraine. We're going to have it in China. I mean, that's a that's an absolute certainty. I mean, throughout what you've been saying, we're obviously not making people want to. Uh, uh, we're not advising people to put money in their shares in Lockheed Martin, Boeing, General Dynamics, and Northrop Grumman. I don't think that's what you want them to do, given what you're saying. But then, when we talk of nuclear weapons use, is that actually helping? Uh, the Pentagon budget uh, PR industry in K Street in Washington, who lobby the politicians, saying we need this weapon and this complex weapon, is is the whole dynamic of debate about militarism ha- aiding of this? Of course, this this whole thing. Uh, first of all, we've developed an ideolo- ideology of miracle weapons that the weapons are the game changers, rather than trained soldiers. Uh, smart tacticians and strategists and things like that. Uh, uh, the basic motto the reformers had was people people use their minds uh, uh, and the hardware goes along with it. You know, people first, ideas second, hardware third. And the Pentagon's flipped that priority on top of, on, on, on its head. Basically, military strength is about procurement. And if you look at what's going on, they buy things that they don't test properly. 
They things are overly complex. They don't properly buy the support material uh, to to uh, sustain them. Uh, so readiness goes down. Uh, they're so complex. The 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 soldiers and airmen and sailors are reacting to their equipment rather than their adversary. Your equipment, you know, you want a weapon for a weapon to be effective. You want it to be transparent that you can use it instinctively. But the the, our weapons, you have to focus on the weapons, and that comes between you and the adversary. It's a complex issue. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, uh, the military, the military-industrial congressional complex, has really hurt uh, our productive capacities because these these companies become welfare queens. They they can't make commercial products and survive. And in fact, one of the main pushers for this, in my belief. I'm one person, but in my belief, uh, one of the main pushers of the China uh, pivot, so to speak, is the fact that you know we we need to create this enormous kind of threat to shovel money to the contractors. And I don't, I don't contractors, think you're the, the only person. Just briefly, and finally, I, I mean, what make, would you? I want to make a. I want to make a point that. You know, you got Silicon Valley now is cashing in on the cornucopia because their competitiveness has gone down. Yeah, I mean, you know, just so just finally, I mean, what would you advise a young congressman or congresswoman then, given we know on the record that Anthony Blinken was a West Exec weapons contractor consultant, Avril Haines at the DNI was uh, at West Exec too, Jake Sullivan uh, worked for Pentagon contractor Microsoft, Lloyd Austin was famously at Raytheon. Uh, Jake Sullivan, uh, advisor to a MI6 cutout defense uh, element. Michelle Fleury, uh, West exec. I mean, they know, like you know. Are they going to get lots of money when this war in Ukraine is over? No, no they don't understand. The, the, the people in the Pentagon who are the most ignorant about how the place is operating are the people who have been at the top. And I saw that for a long time. They... And, and the reason is, is they're overwhelmed by information because the people below them have their own agendas and they just start pumping their, their agendas upward and they overwhelm people with information. It's an orchestrated game. Now this, I mean, this, to understand this, you, get, you have to get into a really long conversation, which we're not prepared to do. But, but uh, that's the reality of the situation. So you got a person like Flournoy, who's a, who was a joke when she was in the Pentagon. You know, they, her, you know what her nickname was? The tea lady, because she served tea at meetings. She didn't contribute anything intellectually. I mean, these people go from industry to the Pentagon, to the Hill, to industry, back to the Pentagon, and they work their way up the ladder, and they end up being at the top of the pyramid. Chuck Spinney, we're going to have to, Chuck Spinney, we're going to have to come back uh, to speak to you about uh, who made all the money out of this terrible war that obviously uh, is killing tens of thousands of people in Europe. We're out of time. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday with the founder and director of the Oakland Institute, Anuradha Mittal, to talk about land ownership and the impact of the for now cancelled Black Sea Grain Initiative. But until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.